Hey, Life Church Livonia, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today, this Sunday morning. It's me again, Alex. I'm the lead pastor here at Life Church Livonia. Great to have you here. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. Please write your name in the comments below. This week, we are finishing up our series, Why God? In week one of this series, we looked at the life of Jacob as he's confronting sin and dysfunction in his past. And he shows us that when we are wrestling with why questions, we need to wrestle and not run away from God. We need to press in. In week two, we looked at the life of Job and how Job is so famous for his unjust suffering. And he cries out, God, are you a just judge? And how God's response to him changes him and changes us. In week three last week, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes. As the teacher of Ecclesiastes asks, what's the point of life? And we found that the meaning he was looking for was not found under the sun. If you want to catch up on this series, please check out the live stream part of our YouTube page. You'll be able to catch up on everything there. And in this week, we conclude the series with the question, God, why won't you answer my prayers? By a show of hands, how many of you guys like waiting? You know, waiting in lines, waiting in traffic, anybody, waiting for your tax return, some of you that's hitting home right now, waiting for your food to come when you order it, waiting for the next season of your favorite show, anybody? Come on, those of you with your hands up, anybody? Okay, those of you with your hands up, you're liars, okay? You're liars and I know it. <laughs> I want to know, put in the chat, what do you hate waiting for most? As a musician, one of the things that kills me is when I'm waiting for a new instrument to arrive in the mail. Dude, it is painful. Like every time I hear an engine come down my street, I like run to the window like I'm a dog looking for my owner. Like, oh, is it here? Is it here? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so that's the only thing I can think about for like days until it arrives. Right now, the thing I'm waiting for is this Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom. Okay, let me tell you about some of this. So Tears of the Kingdom is the sequel to Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is arguably one of the best video games of all time. Okay, from the graphics, the cartoony, nostalgic nature of it, the non-linear storyline that somehow still all made sense, the totally open world, the sound design, the sound design was so insanely good. Like when you would wear different clothing, it would like sound like different clothing, when you like run on rock versus the grass. Dude, this game is so good and it's so long and I've played it through like five or six times. Okay, like I loved the first one. And so when I found out they were making a sequel, I was losing my mind. And oh my gosh, I've been waiting for like two years for this game to come out. And one of the things that's so cool about it being a sequel is normally in a Zelda game, if you don't play Zelda, it's okay. I'm just informing you right now. Normally in a Zelda game, you don't get to go back to the same world because it's like a reincarnation thing. It's Japanese, you know, they're Buddhists, they believe in reincarnation. So Link reincarnates, it's new characters, it's a new world, it's a new environment every time, but we get to go back to the world I loved in the last game. And I'm super, super excited about it. And I've been waiting for two years for it and it's still not out. I have about six more days. I'm kind of losing it just a little bit, but I'm super, super, super pumped for this game. But like I said, I've got six more days and I can almost taste it. And let me tell you, waiting is the worst. And it's not just the worst when you're waiting for Zelda games, although those are especially difficult. My condolences out there to all my people. It's always the worst, right? It's the worst when, it's why most of our technological advances are trying to get rid of waiting. You know what I mean? You don't want to wait around to talk to someone, call them or text them on their cell phone. You don't want to wait in line, jump in line with text. You don't want to take the time to go through the grocery store, Instacart it. You don't want to wait in line in an amusement park. We have a fast pass for you. Don't want to wait for Amazon Prime. Don't worry, Josh Wainer, the drone drop-off is coming soon, okay? It's almost here. We don't like to wait. 
No one likes to wait. I'm waiting for this Zelda game right now, and it's killing me. It's painful to wait. It's painful to wait for the end of the school year. If you're a senior listening to this, you're like, dude, you are telling me. It's painful to wait for your student loans to get paid off. I know I just hit some of you in the fields. All right, feel that with me. It's painful to wait uh, for healing in your body if you've been sick. It's painful to wait for that wayward child to follow Jesus as you watch them move further and further away. It's painful to wait for God to bring the spouse that you've been praying for for so long. It's painful to wait for the engagement when you just want to be married already. It's painful to wait for God to change your spouse after a lot of years of the same conflicts and hurts and frustrations. It's painful to wait for God to give us the family we've been longing for. It's painful to wait for God to change my work situation. It's painful to wait, especially when we're waiting for God to answer our prayers. Waiting for God to answer our prayers is so hard. It's so hard and yet it is a normal part of the Christian life. And you don't have to follow Jesus for very long before you find yourself waiting for him to answer one of your prayers. It's so funny that it's so normal and it's so hard because every single one of us at some point wonders as we're waiting for God to answer our prayers, God, why won't you answer my prayer? Will this answer ever come? This isn't a struggle that only we have, though. This is a normal part of the Christian life. And for Throughout all the Bible, we see tons and tons of people waiting and waiting and waiting for God to answer their prayers. We see God, uh, people waiting for God to bring their children to, so that they might get pregnant and have kids like Sarah. We see God, people waiting for God to fulfill his promises like Caleb and Joshua. People waiting for God to bring freedom from oppression like Mar- Aaron and Miriam. To bring justice like Job. To bring peace like David. To bring the Messiah like John the Baptist. However, today, we're not going to look for the answer to our question, God, why won't you answer my prayer in their lives? We're going to look at the answer to that question in the life of the Apostle Paul. Even if the Apostle Paul, or even the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, had prayers that he waited a long time for God to answer. Now, in order to understand how his life answers this question, we need to know a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Paul's original name was Saul. He was a member of a sect of Judaism called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were super well known for their intense depth of care and understanding and value for the Jewish scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. After the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, the Christian church just expands rapidly, growing very quickly overnight into the thousands. And the Jews who don't believe in Jesus are very frustrated by this because they're frustrated that this way of Jesus they think isn't true didn't die on the cross with Jesus. And so some of the more zealous ones, they attempt to stamp this thing out once and for all. And Saul being one of them, Saul begins to pursue Christians, to arrest them, to imprison them, and even to put them to death in the name of God and in the name of truth. As Saul is heading on one of these expeditions to hunt down Christians, Jesus appears to him miraculously on this road to Damascus and blinds him. And Jesus gives him back his sight and enlists him into the very religion that Saul has been trying to destroy the past couple years. And when he does that, Jesus changes Saul's name to Paul and tells him to preach the gospel to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. When Paul meets Jesus, everything changes. His priorities shift from defending the Jewish faith to building and defending the Christian faith. After Paul meets Jesus on that road to Damascus, Paul's life mission becomes the great co-mission 
This is really important because this is going to drive everything we're going to talk about today. Paul's life mission becomes the Great Commission. And so what is the Great Commission? Well, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, after he's risen from the dead, he tells his disciples two things. One, he tells them that uh, about the Great Commission, and two, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit and then gives them some instructions about where to preach the gospel. So what's the Great Commission? This is what it is. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he goes on to say this about waiting for the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is, this is really key here. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Paul was going, uh, he was going to Judea and Samaria to persecute Christians. By the time he had become a Christian, the gospel had already reached Judea, which is the, the area Jerusalem's in. And then Samaria is the neighboring country. It would, you know, we think of, they, the countries in that region operate a little bit more like we would think of states, right? Our states are smaller. The United States is a massive country. So think it would be like to Michigan, to Indiana, and to the ends of the earth, right? So he's crossed over from Michigan to Indiana, from Judea to Samaria, persecuting Christians. But on his way, God calls him to go to the ends of the earth for the gospel. After his conversion, Paul spends the next 10 years growing in his relationship with Jesus in his hometown of Tarsus and in the surrounding desert. He spent some time alone. He spent some time in town. And after this development, he gets recruited by Barnabas. And they set out together to begin planting churches in the Greek-speaking world. And the mission has begun. The book of Acts tells us that Paul and Barnabas set out on a first missionary journey together to plant and strengthen churches. As, and the first missionary journey goes really, really well. They do a great job. And you can see the map here for reference. The key is cut off just a little bit. They went on these missionary journeys, and the first one, super successful. The second one, Paul and Barnabas go to set out again, and they have a sharp disagreement because one of the guys they're discipling, they've been bringing on the missionary journey with them, he blew it. He abandoned them. And Paul doesn't want to give him a second chance, and Barnabas does. And so they decide, you know what? We're on the same mission, but we are not going to be able to do this together. So they go their separate ways. And Paul takes a man named Silas with him, and they complete the second missionary journey. Very shortly after that one's complete, they head out on the third missionary journey. But in this time of the second and third journeys, Paul begins to get reports that some of the churches they planted are having some various struggles that need to be addressed. For example, the churches in the Galatian area, they're being told they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus. And that's a problem. And Paul writes them a letter to solve that problem and clarify some things. The Thessalonian church is confused about what happens after we die and whether or not Jesus has already come back. And so Paul writes them two letters to clarify things further. The Corinthian church, oh my gosh, don't get me started on them. They're sexually loose, totally out of alignment with God's design for sex. Plus, they're so excited about spiritual gifts. Their church gatherings are just chaos. Not to mention communion has become this excuse to get drunk and party. Corinth was like Las Vegas of the Roman world. I mean, just totally filled with debauchery. 
And so Paul writes them two really harsh letters to guide and correct them. And then on top of that, Paul hears there's a church in Rome that's been planted that he didn't plant, but the gospel has made it to Rome. And this Roman church is confused about the very nature of salvation. And so Paul writes them a letter to try to help clarify and explain things. So in the time of these second and third missionary journeys, Paul begins writing letters to these churches that we now have as a part of our Bibles. These are the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Romans. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul ends with a personal thing and he asks for a prayer request. And I want to zoom in on this. He says, but now that, and this is really key, there is no more place for me to work in these regions. We're going to come back to that. But now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, he hasn't been to Rome yet. He's just hearing about this church. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Paul is planning to go past Rome to Spain, and we're going to come back to that. Very important. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. After I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in service of the Lord's people there. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He's asking for a prayer request here. Pray that I may be kept safe, very important, from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul feels he's done as much ministry as he can in these regions. And we have a second map so that I can show you what I'm talking about here. See, he's done ministry in Galatia. He's done ministry in Antioch. He's done ministry in Asia Minor. He's done ministry in Macedonia. He's done ministry in Achaia. And you can barely see Rome peeking all the way on the other side of the map there and the boot of Italy, right? Rome is just barely on the map. And Paul wants to go not just to Rome, but past it. But he is really saturated from Judea to Samaria to this whole Aegean Sea and Mediterranean circle. He's done tons of ministry and church planning. And he feels like his time there is up because his mission is the Great Commission. He's trying to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he asks the people in Rome to pray for him. He wants to go to Spain to preach the gospel. And he wants prayers that when he goes back to Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of the Jewish religion who now furiously oppose him, he's praying that he gets kept safe. Well, Paul does go to Jerusalem and he visits the temple there. And there's a misunderstanding that takes place. And his very presence in Jerusalem causes a riot that results in his arrest. And Paul gets imprisoned. And for the next five years, Paul is a prisoner and is unable to go on any missionary journeys. Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he answer Paul's prayer? And instead, why would he let the exact opposite of what Paul prayed for happen? Well, I think we have to ask the question, why would Paul want to go to Spain? I want you to look at this last map. Spain is as far, so Rome, which was on the very edge of the last map, is now almost at the beginning of this next map, right? Spain is as far as Paul can go before he hits the Atlantic Ocean. And at that time, 
That was literally the ends of the earth. It was as far west as people could travel. It was the last piece of western Western land before the ocean. Paul is trying to obey Jesus as literally as possible. The gospel was already in Judea by the time Paul came to faith. It expanded quickly to Samaria and through, through the persecution of the early church. Paul was a part of that. The church in Jerusalem was exploding. It was growing. People like Paul came in and said, no, they tried to crush the church, but it scattered it all over Samaria. And then Paul spent this whole ministry, the whole rest of his ministry, taking the gospel place the, to places it had never been before, including the very ends of the earth, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's why Paul wants to go to Spain. He wants to complete the Great Commission. But if that's his goal, why would God not answer that prayer? It just is so noble. It's so godly. It's for obedience. It's not selfish. It's, it's for him. Why, why would he not honor that? Paul's trying to obey him. Why would God let him be in prison for five years? And then when Paul's released after he's in prison for five years, Paul only lives two to three more years. And then Nero burns down Rome. Christians get blamed for it. Paul gets rearrested and then put to death shortly thereafter. But when Peter gets arrested, God sends an angel to break Peter out right away. But not Paul. What gives? What's going on here? Why would God not answer Paul's prayer? To answer this question, I want to zoom out. And I want to look at a timeline of Paul's activity after his arrest. So Paul gets arrested. And he gets kept for two years from 57 to 59 AD in Herod's palace. And then Paul appeals to Caesar because the current guy there, Felix, he took Pilate's old job. He's now the governor of the area. And he's trying to do the Jews some political favors. So he keeps Paul in prison and keeps postponing his trial. So Paul appeals to Caesar so that the trial has to move forward and he can get back on these missionary journeys. After Paul appeals to Caesar, he has a year-long journey to Rome that goes horribly wrong. On that journey, they have to take a break for the winter. They try to beat the weather. They get shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Paul gets bitten by a snake. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. And he barely makes it through with his life. So after a year of arduous travel and life-threatening situations, Paul finally reaches Rome in 60 AD. And when Paul reaches Rome, he isn't held in in a dungeon like he was in Caesarea. He's held under house arrest which means that Paul finally stands trial before Nero and is released in 62 AD, which is two years after his arrival to Rome. So even when he gets there, he waits another two years before Nero will hear his case. And it's a total of five years in prison. Two in Herod's little dungeon, one out at sea, and two under house arrest in Rome. How could this possibly be an answer to Paul's prayer? Well, it's a timeline of Paul's journey, but it's not a full timeline of his activities. You see, just before he was imprisoned, Paul sent that letter to the Romans asking for prayer. And while under house arrest in Rome, Paul writes the New Testament books of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and then 1 Timothy and Titus are written either just before he gets out of prison or just after. Not only that, but because Paul was imprisoned, he gets to preach the gospel to Caesar, to Felix, who was the governor in place of Pilate, to Herod Agrippa, who was a Jewish king. He had taken Herod's place, right? He's the next Herod. Herod Agrippa had killed multiple of the disciples. And Paul gets to preach the gospel to him. And so I want to step back and look at this bigger picture here. Let's look at the big picture of Paul's life because Paul's prayer was to be kept safe 
from unbelievers in Judea so he could go to Spain, right? That was what he wanted. But there was a prayer beneath that prayer. His prayer request isn't really to get to Spain. The reason he's asking for that is so he could fulfill the Great Commission and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But you tell me, which took the gospel farther? The epistles Paul wrote while he was in prison and the world leaders he preached to or his trip to Spain? How did you hear about the gospel from Paul? Was it his trip to Spain? You see, Paul thought the world ended at Spain, but God didn't. Paul thought that he needed to be in a city in person to preach the gospel, but God didn't. Paul thought that the trouble with the Jewish believers would hinder his missionary journeys, but God didn't. You know what's funny? Based on some historical writings from Clement and others, we think Paul actually did make it to Spain in that two years before uh, he was put to death. You see, after he was released from prison in 62 AD, like I said, he was only free for two or more years, two or three more years before Nero burns down Rome. He gets rearrested and put to death in 65 AD. And Paul was actually ended up being able to preach the gospel in Spain to the literal ends of what he thought was the earth. God didn't answer Paul's prayer to be kept safe, but he did answer the prayer beneath the prayer. While Paul was waiting for God to answer his prayer in prison, God was answering Paul's real prayer to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. What God did while Paul waited in prison accomplished way more than Paul's original prayer. And that's not just true for Paul. That's true for you and that's true for me. If you are waiting for God to answer your prayers today, I want you to hear this and to know what God does in our waiting is the heart of his answer. What God does in our waiting is the heart of his answer. The waiting isn't simply this inconvenient in-between or starting point that we're ha we have to wait till we get to our destination. The waiting is a sacred place where God is preparing our answer while he prepares us for it. The waiting is not a waste. The waiting is not a tangent. It's not a detour. It's not God ignoring us. It is the holy soil in which God's answering the prayer beneath the prayer. We don't just want to graduate, we want to move on to the next life stage, to navigate the world as an adult, to be trusted and to trust ourselves as we begin our lives. We don't just want friends, we want deep community, the people who do life with us and care about us. We don't just want a spouse, we want intimate companionship that affirms us and shows us that we are worthy of commitment from other people. We don't just want our student loans paid off, we want to feel free financially to do the things that are actual priorities to us. We don't just want healing in our bodies, we want normalcy. We want the freedom to do the things we'd like again without being chained to our own bodies. We don't just want our wayward child to say they believe in Jesus or just to come to church. We want them to experience transformation from the inside out and new life in Christ. We don't just want God to change our spouse. We want a new family where everyone is supported and where we are united in living out our deepest values. We don't just want to know if God is real. We want a loving union with the creator of our souls. We want to know where we come from at the deepest level. We want to know that we are supported by someone who is in control of life when life is out of our control. We want to know that we can be weak. We want to know that we can be healed. We want to know we can be forgiven. We want to know that we can change and become a new kind of person. There's always a prayer beneath the prayer. So let me ask you, what is it today that you want?
What have you been praying for? And what might the prayer beneath that prayer be? See, our God is a really good father, which means he's radically different than any of our earthly fathers. Even good dads, their job is to point us to our heavenly father, not to replace him. You know, Sophie is, is about um, almost eight months old now. And when she was about three months old, I had this really funny moment with her. This The Lord spoke to me and convicted me so deeply in this idea about waiting for God to answer our prayers. She was happy and like hanging out and just like happy to see me and so cute and so docile. And then she just went from like, I like being alive to, oh my gosh, I don't have food, like so fast, you know? It was just like the flip of a switch. And she went from being like, yeah, totally content to just freaking out because she was so hungry. And I went, whoa, you know, so I put her down and I go to get some breast milk out of the fridge that Amber had pumped earlier. And if you're not a parent, you're not supposed to microwave breast milk because it breaks it down in a way that's not as helpful for the baby. So what you're supposed to do is warm up some water, like heat some water, and then put the breast milk in the bottle in that water so that it warms it up, right? So Sophie is just screaming bloody murder, like just like at the top of her lungs. And I have the kettle on as I'm waiting for the water to get hot so that I can heat up the milk. And I'm just like so sad for her, but also so stressed, like your newborn baby's cries. There's a special kind of psychological intensity that comes with the newborn baby's cries. And so, and she is just screaming her head off. I say to her, Sophia, I hear you. I see you. I know exactly what you want. I know exactly what you need. I have exactly what you want. I have exactly what you need. You just need to wait a few more minutes before what you're asking for is what I can give you. And I just felt like the Lord hit me in the heart and go, exactly, exactly. And I want you to know today, your father sees you. Your father hears you. Your father knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you want. You just need to wait a little bit longer. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I just want to remind you, God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He is seeking to make a kind of person who is like him. He's seeking to transform you into the kind of person who talks like, acts like, thinks like, speaks like, moves like, heals like, prays like, loves like Jesus. He's trying to turn fallen people of earth into holy citizens of heaven. Our prayers are important to him, but who we are becoming is more important to him. And he wants to answer our deepest prayers, not just our surface ones. Sometimes God is waiting for the water to warm up and just other things that are not you have to happen in order for him to answer the prayer. And sometimes he's waiting on us to obey him in a way that we haven't yet. He'll keep making the invitation until we say yes. So maybe he's just waiting on circumstances. He's waiting on other people to say yes. Maybe he's waiting on you today. Maybe waiting on you to make a, a deeper commitment. Take that step of maturity that you know you should have taken years ago, but you just haven't because it, it's inconvenient and you don't want to lose that thing. Or maybe letting go of an idol that you've had that you... You know, you love Jesus and you follow him, but this thing is also really important in your life. And when push comes to shove, this one kind of wins. And maybe God's waiting for you. Maybe he's waiting on circumstances.
But I just want to remind you, what he's doing in the waiting, he's answering the heart of your prayer. Do not give up. Go all in. Be faithful. Be patient. And remember that what he is doing as he answers your prayer is trying to make you like Jesus. When we take a step of deeper commitment, deeper surrender, we open the door to let God tell us he loves us in a lot of new ways. Another thing happened just this morning, actually. Sophia has been mimicking us now. You know, she, <laughs> she doesn't really know how to talk, right? She's only eight months old. But she does this, like, kind of cough thing where she'll go, <coughs> and then she'll have, she wants us to mimic her. And it's been so fun. And she's been like, she'll do something and then wait for us, watch us to mimic her. And so we mimic her. And, it, you know, we were going back and forth this morning. And I just told Amber, just kind of off the cuff, this is so much more fun. Now that she's responding to us, I can tell her I love her in so many new ways. It's just the best. And then I thought, man, Lord, maybe that's how you feel about us when we take a step of maturity. You go, oh, my gosh. Now I can tell them I love them in so many new ways. This is the best. If you're a follower of Jesus, take the step. Jesus wants to tell you he loves you in so many new ways. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I just want to ask you why not? The world is broken. There's no denying that. And Jesus came from heaven to earth that he might die for the sins of all humanity, including yours, including mine. And he came to make all things new and all things right, all things heal and all things whole inside of us and then outside of us and he's extending that to you this morning are you holding back because you don't believe he's real are you holding back because you don't think he's good are you holding back because you don't think he's just what is it but i want to just push you if you are not a follower of jesus this morning to give him a chance to answer your prayers to give him a chance to show you he loves you to give him a chance to show you he's real and if you're in that space, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I want to invite you to take a step. Would you pray with me? Lord, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're good. I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you care about me. But if you do, I pray you would show me in a way that I will understand. Lord, I pray that you would do something in me, outside of me, through me. Speak to me in a way that I know is you. And Lord, show me that you're there. And as you do, Lord, I'll trust you. Help me to follow you, to obey you. Lord, help me, help me to love you like you love me. I know my life's messed up. I know there's a lot I'm not getting right. I know there's a lot more to living than what I'm doing. And Lord, I pray you'd show me what that is. Show me my purpose. Show me my belonging. Show me this life and life to the full that Jesus says he has. I give myself to you and I'm choosing to trust you. Will you answer my prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with me, please fill out a connection card so that we can follow up with you because you are not walking this life alone.